All right, BradCooney.com, who would like to welcome to the show once again from NASA, Mr. Jared Espley. Jared, a lot of good things happening on your end of the world, man. What's going on? Yeah, we stay busy. We stay busy. We're trying to uh, keep exploring the solar system. And what you are doing with the Juno, pro- the, the Juno program, the mission, um, you guys just got to Jupiter. So I guess tell the, the listeners uh, what's going on, anything discovered yet. I know it's early. Can you give us an update? Absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing I, I, I really want to say is that we're super excited to finally be there. Cause sure. As, as you know, these, these missions, they take a long time to develop. And then especially these outer solar system planets, unlike, say, Mars missions, which only take a few months to get there, it took us five years to get to Jupiter. Mm. So uh, it's exciting after about 10 years to finally be getting our data back. Um, but like you said, our spacecraft, Juno, got there just a couple months ago. Um, we're, on this, we're in an orbit around the planet Jupiter, and we're in the, at the moment we're in this very large orbit that takes about 53 and a half days to, to travel um, all the way out far away from Jupiter and then circle back in and pass super close to the planet. So we've only had two close approaches to the planet, even though we've been there for a couple months. We had that very first close approach when we fired the rocket engine to actually complete the orbit and go into orbit after traveling to interplanetary space. And then we had the second close approach uh, recently, just a few months or a few weeks ago. And that's when we got our first science data back because mm-hmm. we had our science instruments on at that point. So that's where we got some of our very first science results. Um, now... I've read that, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've read that this approach was was risky because of the radiation factor. Can, can you can you t- talk about that? Absolutely. So, uh, Jupiter ha- is a, an enormous planet. It's, of course, the largest planet in our own solar system. Uh, as a huge, enormous planet, it also has a tremendously powerful planetary magnetic field. Mm-hmm. This planetary magnetic field traps charged particles. They just ping pong back and forth along the magnetic field lines. Now, was one of the reasons for the long orbit to minimize the amount of time very close to the planet as to avoid radiation damage? Can you tell us anything that we've learned? Anything new? Any wow moments? Anything new? Yeah, so like you said, it is early days. We've only got the one close-in approach mm-hmm. with the science instruments on, but we do already have some interesting science results just from that one pass. Um, so some of the stuff that we've already started uh, releasing publicly, and of course we're busy looking 
looking at the data and we'll be uh, coming out with more and more stuff as time goes on. But one of the cool new uh, things that we saw, we had images of the northern and southern poles in detail for the first time. Because many of the spacecraft that had gone to Jupiter before were in equatorial orbit. Right. It just went around the center of the planet. Now we're coming on over the over the poles. And so we've got these beautiful images of these strange swirls and eddies. These of them storms larger than our own planet up there in the poles. So unlike the bands that you stereotypically think of of Jupiter with these red and orange bands, um, it's just a bunch of swirling eddies up there, these huge storms. Wow. Um, so that was really neat to see see how the, the northern regions look so much differently than the equator. You know, it almost seems like Jupiter is just a gigantic floating storm. There's so much energy in like, like the big red spot storm and it just seems like there's like a 600 mile an hour winds. I mean, it just seems like a very, very turbulent place. It does, and it, it, it's true that Jupiter is a completely different planet than our own. I mean, it's mm. mostly entirely made out of gas, to the best of our knowledge. That's actually one of the big science questions we want to try and get at. We have instruments that are designed to look into the interior mm. underneath those clouds and try to understand if there's any sort of rocky center, rocky core to the planet, mm -hmm. or if it's just all uh, gas dynamics all the way up and down. And so that's one of the things we want to look at. But like you say, it's a very dynamic and very storm-filled uh, place, that's for sure. What is your guess? Do you think there is a rocky core down there somewhere? I think so. I mean, there, there's certainly the theorists are uh, debating about that. The theorists, the people who study uh, how planets would come together in the early solar systems. Um, we know that solar systems form when their central stars start to form themselves. They coalesce out of a gas out in the interstellar medium in between other stars. The stars come together. They start uh, forming their own stars. And the leftovers, the rocky material that's, that's in this, this cloud, is what starts forming into the planets. And so hmm. it certainly makes sense to me that there could be a central core and then the gas that um, is trapped by Jupiter could, could uh, add on to and be collected around, around that central rocky core. Very interesting. How long is the mission for, Jared? So the, the mission design is for about a year and a half. Um, <laughs> the, so we have a number of orbits. We have about 33 orbits that we have planned once we um, get in a little closer with the plan is to change our orbital configuration for the 53-day orbit that we're in now, this huge orbit, down to still relatively large but much smaller 14-day orbits. So you add all those up and we'll get about a year and a half worth of data. Um, that's um, the design lifetime because, again, we know that even with the titanium radiation vault that our electronics are going to die. Mm -hmm. And so we're hopeful that we might be able to have this uh, mission last a little bit longer than that, but, but we're planning for a year and a half. Now, you mentioned previously about one of the one of the missions was to, to determine whether or not there was a rocky core. What are some other things you guys are wanting to learn? Yeah, so one of the other major fundamental science goals with Juno is trying to understand what's going on with the aurora, which is mm -hmm. the northern and southern lights that are occurring at, at Jupiter. So we have these that occur here at Earth. Of course, people might have seen these. It's these beautiful flickering lights that appear uh, in the polar regions. At Jupiter, these things are tremendously bright, tremendously powerful, gigawatts of energy producing these beautiful light shows and storms, electrical discharges happening in the atmosphere. Um, we don't know exactly what causes those at Jupiter. Um, we know that part of it is probably similar to what causes them here at Earth, which is interactions with the solar wind, with the environment out in space, energetic particles in space. But we think at Jupiter that it seems, they seem to be related also to Jupiter's own moons. We think that Jupiter's moons, one of 
water's atmosphere and make the aurora is what we think. But we don't really understand the details of that, so we'd like to look at that and try to understand it. Awesome. You mentioned one of Jupiter's moons, Io. That's a good segue into my next question. We have some exciting news from uh, about Europa, which is the other one of the other moons. Um, recently, I, you guys announced that potentially there's water plumes um, that are shooting out into space from beneath the surface of Europa. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, like you just said, Europa is another moon of Jupiter. It's a uh, it's a very large moon. Um, so people should imagine, uh, you know, a, a planet in its own right, a world anyway in its own right. Um, and on this world, we think it, we know that it's covered in ice, and then we think that underneath the ice is a subsurface ocean. So we think there's a whole ocean full of liquid water underneath an ice shell at Europa. And then that recent news that you were talking about is they made observations with the Hubble Space Telescope to look, and they saw what looks like jets of water shooting off hundreds of hundred miles into space. Um, so some sort of really active geological feature that is shooting water into space. And so this is really neat for a number of reasons. It's, it's really awesome because it means that there's activity there, geological activity on, on the surface of, of Europa. It also confirms or at least reinforces the idea that there's liquid water in the subsurface. And it also gives us the possibility of having access to some of the material that is in that ocean because that material in the ocean presumably is being shot up into these plumes into space. And it's a heck of a lot easier to get the stuff in space than trying to land on a, on a oh, moon yeah. and then drilling down to it. So people are already starting to think about the possibilities of, of observing more closely those plumes and maybe even in some distant uh, future mission trying to fly by into those plumes and trying to sample what's in there. Does Europa have an atmosphere? Very, very little. It's only the, the most um, minuscule, tiny bit of atmosphere imaginable. So it's really about the ice surface and then the stuff that's being blown off into space temporarily in these plumes. Hmm. Now, of course, there's other theories that there's, you know, of course, when you talk about an ocean and, and, a, and a body of water that big, and then you start throwing in maybe, maybe some some kind of energy underneath. Um, yep. I'm not sure if it's volcanic or whatever it might be. Yep. Uh, then of we course, don't know either. yeah, yeah, right. And that's why I want to go there. But, but, but of course, the next question is: you start mixing that stuff in the bottle. You know, what's the potential? Of maybe some kind of life forms are down there. Absolutely, that is, of course, the, the question that's driven mm -hmm. a lot of, of space science overall. And Europa is, in fact, one of those most potentially habitable environments—a place where life could flourish because of the liquid water, like you said. Nobody knows. Um, that, that, frankly, that's one of the major things that's driving the curiosity about uh, Europa is the speculation that there could be life in that subsurface ocean. Um, and nobody knows. That's one of the cool things about exploration is you have to go look. Right, right. Now, would a an orbiter be able to detect signs of life if we sent one to Europa and it like intersected one of those water plumes or got close to one? Yeah, so that's certainly one of the things people are thinking about is uh, if an orbiter were able to go through one of the water plumes, that would be a most uh, straightforward way of accessing what otherwise would be uh, material from in the subsurface area. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one could definitely imagine you could put instrumentation on board that would be able to detect different types of molecules, different types of uh, organic material or not. Um, 
possible that you could, if, if you if you were lucky enough to be able to get your spacecraft planned so that it could fly through the plumes, like we just barely just you know found out about these, so we don't know how regular they are, how predictable they are. Um, so that'd be a huge problem to try and predict that far enough in advance to get your mm-hmm. spacecraft to fly through it. But people are definitely thinking about that. That's for sure. Another concern I would think about. I mean, it's got to be some serious PSI behind this thing for these plumes to be shot up yeah. into space, so you don't want to get your spacecraft knocked, knocked out of out of the air either. Absolutely, so that's, <laughs> the, that's the exact flip side. you gotta, you got to get close enough that you can fly by and get a, a you know a decent sample, a large enough sample, but you don't want to fly too close, right? <laughs> and again, since we just discovered these things, like trying to predict exactly when and where and under what PSI stuff's coming out at, yeah. you know, that's why, why, why uh, scientists uh, have fun with this stuff, because We got to rein you guys from NASA back once in a while, man. You got the Maven mission. You know, you got comets flying by, and you know, yep. you guys like those 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 close drive-by type things. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, we try we try to make sure our spacecraft works. That's yeah, part of the job description usually. Definitely. Let me let me. This is a, this is going to get you to you know hypothesize here a little bit. But if there is some life down there underneath the ice. Are we talking microbial? Would it, be, would it could it possibly be as complex as jellyfish, maybe, or even crazier beyond that? Right. So, absolutely, nobody has any idea. Um, you know, people ask me that question sometimes about life on Mars, and I can answer that more easily because we know for sure that there's nothing, um, you know, animal-sized or plant-sized on the surface of Mars because right. we have enough imagery from from our orbiting assets that we haven't seen any of that nor. That's fair. What about if you had to pick between Europa and Mars? Which one would be more likely? To be? <laughs> more likely. Yeah, uh, that's uh, you're asking. Uh, I mean, which one of my turns? Uh, my favorite kid. You know, you can't say that. Stuff. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, we think liquid water exists at Europa today in large quantities. Uh-huh. Um, so certainly, the surface of Mars is not super likely to have any sort of even microbial enough into the Martian cryosphere, what is the technical term, that where the ice is, um, and therefore maybe some liquid water down there, you could have water. Um, more likely, uh, that, I, I just, I literally don't know. He's going to punt the ball, folks. He's punting the ball. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame you because it really is, it's like really, you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, it, it's, it's like a pick em kind of thing. Um, yeah. If you would have went with Europa, I think Spirit and Opportunity would have forgave you, though. Yeah, they seem pretty friendly little guys. Yeah, you know. Speaking of them two little guys, give us some Mars updates if you can. Now that I got you on the line, are we, I mean, one of those rovers is still ticking up there, right? Yeah, two of them actually on the surface. So uh, uh, Spirit and Opportunity were the uh, the two smaller cousins, and then Curiosity is the one that arrived more recently. Uh, Curiosity has been there for several years, actually, mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Um, but opportunity 
opportunity and curiosity are still uh, roving the surface, giving all sorts of um, beautiful imagery. Uh, especially curiosity has been driving up the mountain that is next to. It's been going in and out of some really small canyons. And mm-hmm. there's just spectacular images. Imagine like hiking in the southwest or whatever, but you're yeah. on another planet. Is that Mount Sharp? Yeah, that's Mount Sharp. So it's driving up Mount Sharp. Wow. It's, it's uh, managed to make its way into some little miniature canyons up there on the side of the mountain. Wow. Um, it's just crazy. you got to, you know, my engineering colleagues, they're, they're driving a robot in a canyon on another planet. I know, that's amazing. It's really it's surreal when you when you really think think about that. Yeah. Um, what about what about any new data? Because I, I, mean, I think we've been on there long enough. We pretty much got all the conditions figured out, right, as far as atmospheric and temperatures and soil samples and is there anything new that can pop up obviously life would be great but that's not probably going to happen on the surface yeah the surface uh, is a little bit inhospitable for life but uh, there's always all kinds of new data in fact that's the main reason we have the rover is we're trying to get to new environments where we can look for um, buried evidence of any sort of lakes or what you know what cut the canyon you know I mean how how does the canyon come does it did it come from flowing water or was it wind cut and so Mm -hmm. the geologists of course want to go to different places and take different data to try and understand how things came to be Mm -hmm. um and then of course all the orbiting uh, missions at at mars including the one i work on maven are still collecting all the data that that we're looking at and just trying to uh, put together the big picture to try and understand what's happening to mars as a planet what are the odds, because, you know, Earth has a ton of aquifers and underground caverns that have water, and um, why wouldn't that be possible on Mars? Is that possible that down way down there there's some caves and the temperature might be warmer? Who knows what could be down there? Absolutely. That's a, a definitely what um, seems very reasonable to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we think there are probably some caves that have been spotted with orbiting assets. You can mm-hmm. see, you know, that sure. look like uh, openings um, and so you know we think that that's plausible um, we certainly think that it's also reasonable to for it to, for there to be liquid water therefore down where it's warmer exactly like you say so um, ultimately in the long term that would be a fantastic exploration goal it would mm-hmm. be to try and get to the Martian subsurface and try and get sure. to, to the aquifers you know in the Maven mission last time I had you on you guys determined that the, the, the planet lost its atmosphere from solar wind stripping it away. So is it a crazy theory to say that maybe there was there was surface life on Mars, you know, millions and millions of years ago and as a result of the atmosphere everything just kinda headed down beneath the surface? No, that's not crazy at all. That's certainly one of the things that we think happened, um, and by that I mean we, we think that Mars used to be uh, habitable, it used to be a much better environment, warm and wet. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Now, before I let you go, can you update us on Maven? I know that's one of your babies. What's, what's the latest with that mission? Yeah, so we're, uh, we've just completed our first full Mars year, which is basically almost two years, or years uh, of observations there, and we're continuing to see very clearly that the solar wind is, in fact, gradually stripping away the Martian atmosphere, blowing it away bit by bit. Um, what we're really interested in getting is 
mm. um, because if you're trying to understand how your, I don't know, like your coast uh, erosion was going on, you'd want to study how the waves erode your mm. coast, but you'd also want to look and see what happens when a hurricane comes by. Sure. Um, so we're looking for the, that large storm to hit Mars, and so we can make some observations of that. And the technologies on board that would be able to decipher the difference between a current reading and then one that they could read right after a solar storm, right? Yeah, that's right. So our instruments are, you know, designed to operate in, in both the normal uh, solar wind environment, but also when a solar storm comes by. So we can definitely, we're totally looking forward to that. Good stuff. Always like you having on the show, man. I would really appreciate you coming on, giving us this update. Um, is there anything out there you want to share with the listeners? Um, maybe give the NASA website or anything like that before I let you go? Yep, absolutely. So the the website where people can find out more information is real simple. It's NASA, N-A-S-A dot gov slash Juno for the Juno updates on mm-hmm. Jupiter. 